I know, uh, as we mentioned in Bible class, it's on everyone's mind. Uh, we just want everyone to take precautions uh, while you're here. Uh, certainly, uh, while you're not here also, uh, because we want you to stay here for a while, um, on this planet anyways, but we also realize that things are happening that are unprecedented in our society and in our world, and uh, we uh, need to be cautious. Uh, as uh, everything is planned right now, we'll be here uh, for all of the services until uh, further notice. Uh, there's no plan to change any of that. Uh, we mentioned in Bible class that if you don't feel you should be here, then that's a decision you have to make. It's much like a snowstorm. Uh, you determine that yourself. Uh, we're not going to say be here or not be here, and we want to encourage each other to not look down on others and say, oh, they're bad because I'm here and they're not. Uh, that's not our call. Uh, if you think they're taking advantage of it, then that's, that's your problem. Uh, God will take care of those things, and we leave those things into His hands. And so uh, we want to encourage everyone to do what has um, been recommended, and hopefully we won't get to a point in our uh, country where we're unable to travel, uh, but uh, that sounds uh, sometimes like it's a possibility. Uh, so if that happens, then we'll make decisions based upon that. But right now we're here, and uh, one of the things that we're not going to be doing is the baskets for the... Uh, nursing homes, at least not at this time, is going to be postponed uh, because one of the things that has been recommended uh, by the government is that uh, no one can go into nursing homes without a uh, specific cause. And by that they're saying uh, if someone's dying or in the process of it, then family can go in, but no one else is supposed to go in. So I think it's best for us to try to be good citizens and do what we've been asked to do. And in those situations, that's not a necessity, something that we have to do. That's just something that we're doing out of the goodness of our heart. And so we're going to postpone that. So keep that in mind. Uh, also, some people can't get the stuff they're supposed to, to have or bring uh, because it's all sold out. <clears throat> so keep that in mind also. But it will be done in the future. So... In Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses uh, watching his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees a burning bush and he approaches it and he wants to investigate. I would imagine that if you or I were there, we would do the same thing. But then he's told to remove his shoes because he's on holy ground. And there's something in that uh, chapter that I want us to concentrate on today. I didn't ask Rodney to read the rest of it, but I want us to look at verses 10 on, and then we'll go with the lesson from there. It says, Come now therefore, beginning of verse 10, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he says, Certainly... I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. 
And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover to Moses, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I will surely visit you and seen that which was done to you in Egypt. There we see Moses is given the commission to go to Pharaoh. But what I want us to point out is that God gives Himself a new name. And that name is I Am That I Am. And when Moses asks that question, his name, God answers in a sentence. He doesn't just say, this is my name, like we would say. He gives a sentence. And that sentence is in the Hebrew, Now, I don't know if that's pronounced right, but that's my rendition of it in Hebrew. But today, we're not sure how that name would be or that phrase would be translated. It possibly includes, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am because I am. I will be who I will be. I cause to be what I cause to be. And I will create what I will create. Those are some of the possibilities of what that phrase or that sentence that God gave says. We just really don't know for sure what that phrase means. But what we do know is that it has something to do with the existence, the presence, the being. He is God. He is a being. One who exists. He is self-existent, self-determining, and sovereign. He is one who is. He is alive. He's active. And He's dynamic. He is a God who creates. He brings things into existence. And He makes something from nothing. Thus we have the universe from nothing. Those are some of the things that are involved in that phrase that God gave to Moses. And then God says that his, that would be His name forever. For all generations. And so Moses takes those first, uh, that first person sentence and turns it into a name that we can read and we can understand, which is Yahweh. And it's, uh, we, call, we say Jehovah. But we know that God's name is more than just a name. We know that when we look at what it says in the Bible about God, that it is more about what He does. It's more of a descriptive term than it is His name. In Genesis chapter 1, we know that God created the heaven and the earth. And that word that is used in that verse is Elohim. That He is a Creator. And that word is a plural word. Even though it is one God, Elohim makes room for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so in some cases when it's talking about God, it is talking about the Godhead. 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in some passages of Scripture that we read in the Old Testament and also in the New. El Shaddai, which is another Hebrew name or word that is used to describe Jesus or God, is active, dynamic, a powerful one, and is usually translated Lord God Almighty. El Shaddai speaks of God's miraculous power, His omnipotence, which enables Him to bring things and persons into being while aiding them in their existence. I told my wife this morning I should have put some of these phrases on the screen, but I didn't. But there are other terms that are used to describe God. Adonai is another one of those words, and that speaks of the Lordship of God. That He is or should be our Master, our Lord, and our King. And then there's Jehovah Raha, which is found in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, where it talks about it is a God who heals. And then we have Jehovah Jeha, the Lord will provide in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. And then Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord is our peace in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. When you examine all of those terms, all of those words, they are not names but they are descriptive terms of what God is, what He does, and His purpose. In Exodus chapter two or 6 and verse 2, I want you to notice it says there, God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and to Jacob by the name God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known unto them. Here we have God saying that my name, or I'm the same God that dealt with the patriarchs. That I'm the same God that dealt with Adam. That I'm the same God that spoke to all of the other fathers that came before. But today I have a new name. And the I am that I am. Jehovah or Yahweh. And people aren't even sure of how to pronounce that term which translates in our English Bible as Lord. And most often it is capitalized. You see, this name says that our God is unexplainable. That He is set apart. That He is so much higher, so much holier, so much purer than any man could even imagine. He is absolutely different than what we can even comprehend. He is so almighty, He is so holy, He is so sovereign that there are no human terms or titles that can explain God. Our vocabulary, even the Hebrew vocabulary, was and is inadequate in talking and describing God. Hosea chapter 11 and verse 9. God says, He is not like man. He is God. And I think that sometimes that's our problem when we think about God. We try to bring Him down to our terms, to words and things that we can understand and relate to, but God is far above that. And so we don't see the fear of God, the respect for God that man should have because we've recreated God. But when you go back and study, as I looked at some of these terms that are used to describe God, it would make you realize that God is so far above us 
that we cannot even comprehend the greatness and the goodness of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, there is none holy as God, for there is none besides thee, neither is there any rock like unto our God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here we see a picture of it trying to be described of how God thinks and what He does that is so far above us that here's the picture as the heavens above the earth. That's the distance between His thoughts and His ways of thinking than ours. Listen to what Isaiah says again in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no other God or no God besides me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the, uh, from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all of these things. God is a powerful God. He can make light and He can make darkness. And I want you to think about that for a moment because I know that there are some that get caught up on this verse that says that God created evil. God, when He created good, that automatically created evil. Because when you disobey God, He's told you what you are to do, how you are to live, when you disobey that, that's evil. That's the difference in light and dark. He's given us the way of light, but when we choose to live in darkness, that's the decision that we've made. And so by creating light, there's also been the creation of darkness. So we can relate to the difference. And so God realizes that there is a right way. And we need to understand that. That God is so far above our thinking that it's hard for us to even comprehend His power and His love for us. I guess the question for us would be this. Are we awestruck with God and who He is? Or have we gotten into the mode where we want to redefine God on our terms? That we want God to be what we want Him to be. You know, we talk about idol worship in the Old Testament and we look at some of these individuals that bow down to to, to some object and we wonder how could they do that? Why would you want to have a God that could be carried away or stolen or doesn't answer? Why would you want a God like that? But yet we recreate God in the image that we want. We may not have a physical image in front of us, but we have in our minds what we want God to be. And so do we hold God in awe when we think about His power, when we think about what He's done for us, that He cares about us. I think that that's just a staggering thought. To know of all the things that God has to keep track of, He cares about me. That He knows my name. That He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows more about me than I know about myself. 
Are we in awe of God? You see, until we are awestruck with God and who He is, our walk with God will be less than what it could be or what it should be until we have a better understanding of His absolute sovereign nature. I started to work on these lessons because somebody asked me to talk about the Godhead. And so we're going to look at God the Father, the term God as we've been looking at it, because I believe these terms apply to all three that are in the Godhead. We're going to talk about each one individually, but I wanted us to just see the words and the terms that are used to describe our God. And that that mean, terrible God in the Old Testament is the same God that we worship in the New Testament. And that He's not really as mean and severe as some would like to describe Him. Because He did what He did because they, the people that He destroyed, did what they did. As we apply this lesson to our lives, we need to ask ourselves, or when we come to understand the I am that I am, His name and His nature, what it will do for us. What we need to do. How do we apply it to our lives when we know how great and powerful that He is? Well, first of all, it will cause us to humble ourselves before Him. Did you notice what Rodney read for us? That when he realized that he was in the presence of God, when Moses realized that, what did he do? He hid his face. How did he do that? I don't know. But he hid his face. Why? Because he humbled himself. You know, there's a lot of big talkers out there, what they're going to say and what they're going to do to God when they see Him. But everybody that I read in the Old Testament, when they met God, they didn't do that. Some of them talked big until God showed up, and then they didn't talk so big. We're going to talk about some of those. But we really don't see the humility in Moses' life until the burning bush incident. Because we know that while he was in Egypt, he killed someone because they were uh, uh, punishing a, uh, uh, one of the children of Israel. And then he went and hid and fled. And we don't hear a lot about Moses during that period of time where he had fled. But here at the burning bush, when he's in the presence of God, he understood who God is. We too will face him someday. And we also will fall on our face before Him. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to Me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, I don't know what you picture in that scene. I don't picture that there's going to be some angel standing over somebody's head with a flaming sword and saying, you're going to bow down. I have the idea or feeling that when we come in the presence of God, I don't care who we are, we're going to bow down. We're going to fall on our face. Why do I say that? Because I see the people that have seen been in His presence in the Old Testament and their reaction. 
Show me an arrogant, prideful, egotistical, conceited, self-centered person. And I'll show you someone who does not know God. Or if they do, they don't understand His name and His nature. Moses hid his face. What did Isaiah do when God came into his presence? He said, woe is me. When they came to arrest Jesus, they asked Jesus, or Jesus asked, who do you seek? They answered Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am He. You know, sometimes we read through that, but I think that that I am has a whole lot to do with the answer that God gave to Moses about that new name. I am. And what was the result of that? When He said, I am He. The Scripture says, they fell backwards. Brethren, they knew what Jesus was claiming when He said, I am that I am. Thomas explained, My Lord and my God. Paul fell on his face in the presence of Jesus. John on the Isle of Patmos fell on his feet before Christ. Have we ever fallen on our face before Him? Has any of us really looked at God and been awestruck by the power and by what He is? And then God tells Moses to remove his shoes. <clears throat> Take thy shoes from off thy feet. In Jewish culture, the bottom of one's sandals and feet were considered the filthiest place on the body. In the Arab world, that's still they still have that thought. And they still have that practice today. You might remember a few years ago or several years ago, George W. Bush was over in one of those foreign eastern far eastern countries, and someone stood up and threw a shoe at him. And he kind of made a joke about him dodging it, but that was a great insult in their culture because they were throwing the dirtiest part of their body or what they considered the dirtiest part at Him. God is holy. When we see His holiness next to our sinfulness, we will fall before Him in humility. Have you or I ever humbled ourselves before the great I Am? The second thought. Seeing God for who He is will prompt us and compel us to confess our sin and worship and serve Him. King Uzziah dies. Isaiah goes to the temple to consult with God on how to handle the situation. And God shows up, or the Lord shows up. And a strange thing happens when He arrives. There are six-winged 
seraphims began flying through the temple. This is found in Isaiah chapter 6, by the way. And they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The foundations of the building begin to shake. Smoke fills the room. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't read anything negative about Isaiah in the Scripture. So as far as I know, he's a holy man, a man of God. But in the presence of God, look at his reaction. Woe is me, for I am undone. He don't say, oh, we are undone. He said, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. In the presence of God, when we see ourselves, we're going to see us for what we are. We're not going to be so high and mighty. We're not going to be so self-righteous. When we stand in the presence of God, we're going to see ourselves for what we are. That we are unprofitable servants. That we need the blood of Christ. That we need the love of God. We need His grace. We need everything that He offers to us. In that case with Isaiah, one of the seraphims takes a coal from the altar and touches it to the Isaiah's lips, symbolically cleansing his sin and forgiving him. And as this happens, the Lord has a commission. And He asks the question, Whom will I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, Here am I, Lord. Send me, use me. For we see, or He saw, God for what He was. I am that I am. When we see God and realize our lives, we won't have to be begged to confess and acknowledge our sin. We won't have to beg people to be born again as the New Testament teaches one needs to do in baptism in order to be saved. We won't have to beg people to come to worship or beg to serve in His kingdom. We'll be like Isaiah. Hear my Lord. Send me. Knowing the great I am, that I am, helps us understand that God is working on our behalf. When you look at the life of Job and see all the things that happened to Job, it's understandable that Job would become angry with God. And so Job demands answers from God. He wants to ask the why questions. Why is this happening to me? And I find it very interesting that in verse forty or verse six of chapter forty two, that God shows up. And Job says, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He had a different outlook when he met God. Even though when you look at Job, 
You see someone who was very concerned with being right in the sight of God. He offered the sacrifices like he's supposed to. Offered sacrifices for his children. He had been blessed. And in fact, when Satan goes into the presence of God, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Not too many people on earth as God said, my servant. But he said that about Job. So Job seems to be a pretty good guy. But in the presence of God, he quivered. Why? Because like Moses and Isaiah, they saw the power of God, the almightiness of God. Job came to know God's help. He know, understood God's truth. That is still in, we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And even though that's over in the New Testament, that was something that was still true in anyone's case and anyone's day. Where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. When we love God, He's working things out for us. Now, it may not be the way we would like. Things may not turn out the way we thought they should turn out. But how many times in our own lives have we looked back over the situation after it was all done and seen how God has improved our relationship with Him, which is most important, and improved our relationship here on this earth. Knowing God intimately helps us to understand that He is at work even in life's tough, tough times. Remaking, remodeling, reshaping us into the people and person that He wants us to be. Until we understand who God is, what He is, it's going to be hard for us to understand Him in our lives and how He works and what ultimately He wants for us. The fourth point. We can learn that we can't blame God for our sin predicaments, our situations, or even the world's condition. Rebecca was a witness to Nebuchadnezzar carrying off the princes of, of Judah. He sees all the injustice taking place around him. And so he stands on the watchtower saying, God, I didn't like what or I don't like what I'm seeing down here. I see injustice that's taking place, and God, you're responsible for it. And I'm going to sit right here on this wall until I hear from you. Until you come and explain yourself and explain why this is happening and what you're going to do about it. Have we ever been there? Go home and read Habakkuk. God shows up in chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, My lips quivered, my belly trembled, my bones were filled with rottenness, and I trembled in myself. What are you going to do to God when you see Him? These men were holy men. 
chosen men, but they still tremble. We must realize that the I am that I am is working in our world today. As chaotic as this world seems, as sinful as this world seems, God is still in control. And don't ever doubt that. Don't ever forget that. He is in control, so stop worrying about what's happening and trust God. God will bring about His desired and designed conclusions. We just need to trust Him. Remember, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We have to trust God. But I want you to also notice one other thing about that I am that I am. He can control all things that He chooses, including nature. There was a storm that was raging. Their boat was sinking in the Sea of Galilee. And they go to Jesus and He's asleep in the back of the boat or the ship. There was other little boats with them. But the Scripture says that it was filling with water. They were going to sink. And most likely, they would drown. And so they wake Jesus up and Jesus says three words. Peace, be still. Now, no ordinary man can do that. But God can do that. And suddenly the wind stopped and the sea was calm. Do you know what the Bible says happened next? In Mark chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, these were individuals that were just in a ship that was about to sink, and they were about to drown, and they were afraid, so they go wake up Jesus, but when they wake up Jesus and He says, Peace be still, and everything calms down, they're more afraid than they were to begin with. What does that tell you about the power of God? Should we fear God? They feared exceedingly. These disciples saw something akin to what Moses and Isaiah saw, and they stood in amazement before the great I Am. Interesting, isn't it? That the text indicates that these men were more fearful of the sovereign nature of Jesus than they were of that raging sea. We stand in awe and amazement of God and His nature. In another case, they've been fishing all night without any luck. Jesus comes and tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Peter reminds them that we'd fished all night. We caught nothing. And they did. They did what Jesus said. They went out and they dropped their net. And the net fills with fish to the point of breaking. They call someone else over and they fill two boats. And they begin to sink. And remember what Peter said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. 
And Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from Me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You ever wondered why he'd say something like that? He just caught a boatload of fish. In fact, two boatloads of fish. He's a fisherman. He should be thrilled. But why would he make that statement? As opposed to, thank you, that's great. I can go make some money now. Do you see what Peter saw? He saw the great I am. The absolute set-apartness of God in the flesh. He realized that he was in the presence of God. When we see God for who He is, we will become a different people. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, and behold, the throne that <clears throat> before the throne there was a sea of glass, likened to crystal. And then in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Did you catch that? Well, let me say it again for you. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Think about that for a moment. They don't stop. I'm reminded of the preacher that I've talked about before that said, if all we're going to do is praise God throughout all of eternity, I don't want to go. I want to climb mountains and I want to hike and I want to do all of this stuff. And so if all I'm going to do is praise God, I don't want to go. When you read passages of Scripture like that and what we're looking at, I don't think that He or some of us, even myself, understand the power of God and what it means to be in His presence. Because He's so holy, so pure, so righteous, that we can't even comprehend it. If in heaven those around the throne never stop praising and serving day and night, who are we to ignore Him? Who are we to try to even bring Him down to our level? He's God. The three are God in one. They're all present there in the very beginning of this world's existence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we see God for who He really is, 
we too will become different people. We'll be a changed people. And we will never stop honoring and thanking Him who sits on that throne. When you think about who God is, what Jesus is, should we ever let that fire die that's in our soul? Should we let it die out? Or should we be enthused, excited to know that He's allowed us to be a part of His kingdom, to be a part of the body of Christ? So He directs us what we need to do to live for Him. And if we want the forgiveness of sin, then we have to comply to His desires, His wishes, His commands. And He tells us that we need to hear the Word. And that we need to believe that Word, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That we need to be willing to repent of our sins, turn away from those things that we do that are wrong, put our trust and faith in God, and live to serve Him. We confess His name before men, and then we're baptized into Christ. And that's the only way we can get in. You don't hear into Him. You don't believe into Him. You don't confess into Him. You are baptized into Him. And so that's what you need to do if you want to be a part of His kingdom. You shouldn't have to beg us because when we understand who He is, it would prompt us to do what we know we should do to serve Him. So this morning, if you need our prayers, you need our help, we're here to serve you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.